It's about like, well, let's focus on the really important things first and you might not need to do any yeah. of that. Yeah, so it's you might the, not need to hit that up level or anything because things might actually be working just with nailing the basics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why why exactly why we've created Ovi because we saw exactly this problem is yeah. that there are so many things you could do. It's about knowing which ones are the most important which are those like big dominoes that if you knock that domino down like if you think about what dominoes are right like you line up all of the dominoes in a line and if you get the right if you hit the right one the first one correctly Mm -hmm. then the whole stack of dominoes will fall down hi i'm claire goodwin and this is the pcos nutritionist podcast i have pcos too and i know how hard it can be to get the help you need So I bring together my expertise as a registered nutritionist and exercise scientist, together with other experts I trust and people with real life lived experience of PCOS to help you get the information you need to make a real difference to your symptoms. I'm super excited to announce the release of our new PCOS management app, Ovi. As someone who has PCOS, I saw firsthand how much hyper-personalized tweaks to my lifestyle had a dramatic impact on solving my PCOS symptoms. As a registered nutritionist and exercise scientist, I saw the same effect for many of my patients. But I also saw that only seeing me once a month or even every few weeks just didn't work for most people. Changing what we eat, how we move, and sometimes the very essence of who we are, like being a perfectionist, is really tricky. And in order to see real change, we need constant support and reinforcement. And we also need tools like recipes, workouts, and cheat sheets right in our pocket. So when we're in the midst of standing in the supermarket aisle, we know what to choose to help support our changes. My PCOS protocol group program was an amazing start in helping to achieve this, but I knew we could do way better. I knew that we could get even more personalized, convenient, and provide an elevated user experience for you. So this is why I created Ovi, to give you your personalized PCOS pathway that's based off your symptoms and your goals right in your pocket so that you can access it at any time. And not just created by me, but by an incredible team of nutritionists, psychologists, physiotherapists, exercise physiologists, and more. So head over to our website, ov.io, that's O-V-I-E dot I-O, and take the questionnaire. It's completely free, and you'll find out what's driving your PCOS, or what I've formerly referred to as your PCOS root cause. I can't wait for you to be part of the OV community. So today we're going to be talking all about PCOS drivers. Now PCOS drivers is something that I have previously termed your PCOS root cause. That's why I talk about in my book uh, or your PCOS type, which we both realized when we were creating Ovi, we were like, that, though, both those terms are actually quite problematic, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Like I think with what we realized with working with lots of patients is when we talked about PCOS root cause. The problem was either they thought they'd caused their PCOS or they thought there was, um, you know, like this one thing was the cause of their PCOS, which is not necessarily true. It's PCOS is really multifactorial. It's all about your genetics and your lifestyle. And so this one thing didn't actually cause it. And so I think that sends people on the wrong path. And also the PCOS type was too limiting. Yeah, we kind of found that the more we spread out or delved into all the different drivers that there were the harder it was to put someone in a container because of all of the combinations of different drivers that 
you might have it just it felt really limiting yeah Yeah. like I think when we realized we're like okay well so someone has insulin resistance and high stress hormones and they have a thyroid condition then we worked out I think now that we have about over it's over 350 different combinations of different drivers that someone could have so that would be 350 different types and when we're creating content we really needed to be able to get granular for that person yeah and we really wanted to personalize and tailor it as much as possible so rather than bucketing people into a type we really thought no let's really look at it from the individual driver that someone has and make sure that they're getting the content that is relevant to all of the drivers that they have so that was what we really did with Ovi was really figure out how we could take what we know and give the person the most personalized information for them yeah Yeah. rather than just going oh yeah you've got some insulin resistance and oh yeah you've kind of have you've got a thyroid condition too but Mm. oh we we can't really give you both of those we're just going to focus on one and that's um and that's what we've done with Ovi but the reason that we've called it a driver is because we thought that most accurately reflected what actually how these contribute to your PCOS so it's like driving or putting your foot on the accelerator of your PCOS so it's the thing that's really contributing to your symptoms and the thing that we can actually have the most impact on or like take your foot off the accelerator yeah it's kind of like the thing that is propelling your PCOS forward driving those symptoms that you're seeing and like you said the more we lift our foot off the accelerator by slowing down that driver the more we can see those symptoms alleviate as well yeah exactly so that gives you a bit of an intro into like what we're going to be talking about today and what these what this term driver means and I hope that this helps you understand a bit more about the fact that nothing you've done has caused your PCOS or is the cause of your PCOS but instead it's that thing that's kind of accelerating those symptoms but also it's a thing that we can if we can change that change what you're doing how you're eating how you're moving how you're sleeping your stress management your supplements then we can actually take the foot off the accelerator and improve those symptoms and I think the really good part about this as well is that we can see really important lifestyle changes to target drivers whereas when it comes to symptoms we can feel like we're trying to do all these things but we're hitting a brick wall we're not really getting anywhere with that it's Mm. but when we work on the drivers and try to work to reduce those things we can see really important change yeah that's so true like we often I was just thinking I was responding to a few Instagram questions this morning and there were so many people asking things about what they should do about different symptoms like what like diet or lifestyle changes they should make because they're like gaining weight or and I think that I'm just saying think that other things would be like if I've got hirsutism what should I do if I've got acne what should I do and yeah there are some like topical things or some medications that can directly target those symptoms but when it comes to actually really improving all of those symptoms that's when we need to go to that deeper layer about that for that drivers yeah and I think we can keep working on the topical side of things and and think about kind of working on that surface level But that's never going to disappear. We can't kind of penetrate deep enough to get that real change. But if we kind of go from the inside out and work on those drivers, then we can stop the formation of some of those symptoms and stop them coming back. So I kind of think about it as like, you know, that 
acne is a really good um, symptom to think about this with that it's what's happening inside that increase of testosterone that's really driving that acne formation and we can wash our face a million times we can go get facials we can put all of the creams and everything onto this acne but it's still going to continue to form if we don't fix what's driving that which is that high testosterone and what's driving the high testosterone well that's the PCOS drivers yeah yeah exactly and so this is why I mean I'm sure gosh I've experienced I'm sure pretty much everyone has experienced it with acne when you go to the doctor and they say oh well here we take this doxycycline yeah um I've experienced that yep all of the the things (laughs) yeah and doxy is like a low grade antibiotic they often give it to um people traveling overseas so you don't get malaria uh and it is so the whole part of the acne formation is when your body's overproducing oil if you're if your duct gets clogged, then that oil is going to get trapped. It's not going to be able to escape. And then that gets infected and then that causes the acne pustule. And so the doxies, because it's an antibiotic, it's stopping the infection. It's not stopping the production of oil. It's not stopping the like pore getting clogged. It's just stopping that infection. And while that's helpful, as soon as you stop taking it, this your oil is still going to be producing the same amount and so we're and pretty much everyone's experienced this when they stop taking that or they stop taking the pill or spironolactone those symptoms come back come back and then i think as well it's if we're only sorting the symptom with something to mask it essentially like doxy or like the pill or anything like that are we prepared to be on those for life like are we prepared to be on a low anti-grade a low-grade antibiotic for life or are we prepared to be on the pill for life and what happens when we do want to come in Mm. um into a fertility journey we're going to have to hit those symptoms at some point so yeah yeah and also too is that none of those things have zero side effects yes they all kind of cause other things so when it comes to a low-grade antibiotic well, that's like destroying your gut bacteria. It also destroyed my liver and my account yes, too. Yes, I was right. saying that. Yeah, I was put on it when I was really young and um, maybe year seven or year eight. And So that's like, if anyone overseas, that's 10, 11, 11, yeah, 12. Yeah, 11, 12. And yeah. then um, it wasn't helping my skin at all, but my doctor just kept giving me the prescription. And then when it wasn't working enough, they were like, okay, well, Riocutane will be next. And um but we'll have to do some blood tests and they did a whole bunch of liver panels and my liver pan- my liver things were thousands of units out of whack and they were pretty perplexed as why I was a bit asymptomatic. They were like, you should be yellow by now. But, you know, it goes to show these things can have effects um, beyond what we think that they can. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And same thing with the pill, you know, like a lot of people get other unintended consequences of that, like mental health or weight gain or as we've talked about it can have some like interesting effects on mate selection yeah. and things like that as well <laughs> so libido yeah. everything so it's sort of like when we're treating that symptom especially with medications it tends not to be um well it's, it, all medications have effects yeah and so i actually really dislike the term side effects because they they're just effects mm. they're just unintended or unwanted effects but they're still effects Mm -hmm. i think side effects make them feel or sound really small smaller yeah Yeah. whereas i think it's okay to feel like the side effects are more problematic than what the 
the medication is actually meant to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. It's like metformin. I mean, so many people say to me, I feel so nauseous and so many like gut effects of metformin. And I say, what, well, what does that do to you? And they mm. say, I just want simple carbs all the time because I'm feeling so nauseous. And mm. I'm like, well, the whole point of metformin is to help improve your insulin. If you're just eating simple carbs all the time, then it's actually having a more detrimental effect on your insulin mm. than what it is improving it. So yeah, yeah. so side effects are not, are definitely not small in many instances and they can certainly outweigh any benefit that you're getting from it yeah so i think they can be great for a time and yeah. we're completely agnostic to medications and i think really important tool for when we really need them but i think long term we really want to come back to focusing on on those drivers so that those medications aren't something that you need to use to kind of band-aid the situation it's kind of like that ambulance um at the top of the hill rather than at the bottom of the hill. Yeah. yeah. And often the time, like I say, that sometimes people talk about medications being a Band-Aid. And yeah, mm. they, they, they are. But sometimes you need a Band-Aid. Like so, sometimes, totally. So, like you think about when you get a cut. Like, mm. actually, sometimes like you actually need that because your arm is like spilling out with blood. And yeah. you don't want to get blood all over your white jeans. Like... <laughs> Yeah, it's really important, but it's not the the band-aid not wearing a band-aid wasn't the problem, right? Yeah. You didn't get a cut because you weren't wearing a band-aid. You got a cut because you were like not using your scissors correctly or you mm. were, you know, you dropped in like a knife or whatever it is. So it's the it can be important to stem the bleeding initially, but sometimes you might also need more. Like you might actually also need stitches to actually heal that. Yeah. Um so yeah, band-aids can be important, but they're not actually going to fix the problem. Um, so then, so that's why we don't really ask people. We ask people about their symptoms because we want to know what their goals are and yeah. what's important to them, right? And and we want to talk to them about symptoms that are important to them. Like if someone's not on a fertility journey, then I'm not going to talk to them about that because it's like, actually, that's, that's not important to me at the moment. It's more going to like demotivate me. So we want to know what your symptoms are because we want to know what you're... What you want to talk about or what yeah. you want to focus on. And and we do give you the band-aid options there as well in the meantime whilst you're working on the root causes. So you can kind of band-aid to work on those those kind of drivers and, yeah. then, and then from there slowly take away the band-aids as you need them less yeah. and less. And yeah. sometimes the band-aids, they don't have to be medication, mm. right? Sometimes it's... Or sometimes it also is like especially with things like acne, mm. topical treatments can be really effective as well and helping while your testosterone's coming down. Or like electrolysis with like hirsutism and yeah. things like that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so that's also really important to know what your symptoms are so we can give you the other options for like, okay, so while you're working on actually reducing your, your testosterone so your hirsutism doesn't grow back or doesn't grow back as fast, what's there still needs to be killed and so therefore electrolysis or laser hair removal are going to be really important and here are the best options here are the most effective here's what you need to look for um so we want to know what that is but we but it doesn't it doesn't like have any bearing on really what your drivers are so i think what we see from you know the number of people coming through is that regardless of what your drivers are you can have any combination of the symptoms so I always think about PCOS as kind of being a condition it's sort of viewed as like a constellation of symptoms yeah. essentially like a collection and you can have any number of those um and what we kind of are saying here now is that 
regardless of what combination you have there, that's not giving us insight into what's driving that. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. So what's driving it is those underlying factors. So this is the most common in PCOS is your blood sugar, especially your, your insulin hormone that controls your blood sugar, your stress hormones, chronic inflammation, um, thyroid, and like we have in the past kind of talked about post-pill PCOS, although we did a podcast a wee while back and I explained there why I don't actually really ask about post-pill because I actually see that anyone that has more of a post-pill PCOS has got one of the other drivers. Yes. And so that's where we kind of differ, where we don't really ask about that or talk about that because yes it might have been one of the triggers for that but there's something underlying that's led to one of those drivers yeah cause that post pill period to exacerbate yeah exactly and so let's going through all of those so um insulin is your blood sugar hormone it's the hormone that when you eat so say you eat like an apple your body has to actually store that glucose for use later in your liver or in your muscles. And so it's insulin's job to go and grab that glucose from your bloodstream and then go and store that um, for later use. And so if your insulin is functioning optimally, your body should only need to release, say, five units of insulin to do that job. But when you become insulin resistant, then your body might need to release 20 units or 30 units or 40 units to that job. And it might take your body longer to do that storage process. So your insulin and blood sugar are staying higher for longer. And this is where it becomes a problem for PCOS because that high insulin then drives your body to produce more testosterone, which then leads to symptoms. So we talked about acne, we talked about hirsutism, but what we haven't talked about is weight gain, which Mm -hmm. is another one that can happen. So when your body is producing high amounts of insulin and high amounts of testosterone that can cause weight gain and then the weight gain can cause more insulin resistance and then more testosterone and it's just a really vicious cycle Um, it can also really disrupt your sex hormones which control when you ovulate and get a period and therefore your fertility so this is one that's really really common it is um, about 85 percent of people with pcos have some insulin resistance and in most cases it's undiagnosed right like i would i would say that Probably Absolutely. 75% yeah. of people that we see um, have have never been told that they have anything wrong with their insulin or that they, they haven't been pre- diagnosed with pre-diabetes or anything like that. They're quite unaware that mm. insulin resistance is potentially a driver for them yeah yeah and it's and likely their blood tests are showing as normal as well so yeah. especially if they're getting things like an hba1c or an a1c or a fasting insulin and their yeah. doctor saying no no everything's fine yeah yeah very very common and so it's probably i would say 75 percent of people and and those going through that have been through the ov questionnaire which is just at ov.io you can do this questionnaire now while we're talking about this if you want to um you might be really surprised of what it comes out with in terms of your insulin and blood sugar and I mean I was I mean I mm. luckily it did show on my blood test when I was young but I was super surprised because I was an elite athlete I was a registered nutritionist well wasn't registered by the, at that stage but a qualified degree qualified nutritionist so I was like I know I'm eating really well I know that I'm exercising heaps and yet my like I was like insulin resistant how am I insulin resistant yeah, yeah. and I think this also is really important I think there's a real stigma that insulin resistance is exclusive to people in higher weight bodies which is completely untrue and we see 
we would see 90%, 95% probably of our patients who are lean still presenting with insulin resistance as one of their drivers. Like it's yeah, 75%. Really, 75%, yep. yeah. 75%. And, and that's backed up by the research as well. So yeah, yeah. it shows that 75% of people that have lean PCOS are insulin resistant. And this is um, another question I just saw before when I was answering some from Instagram is someone said, I does post-pregnancy change my PCOS um, drivers I was previously lean and now I'm gaining weight and this is where if you understand that actually drivers are independent of those symptoms so actually weight is not a driver in itself um, that you then see well actually insulin could be the underlying driver for both of those but also a thyroid condition could be the underlying driver I know that you know, like a lot of people with hypothyroidism exhibit weight gain, but that was something that you've had and you didn't exhibit. Yeah, that, right? yeah, yeah. I was the complete opposite. I was really low body weight and I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism. So it, not every symptom is, and that's the same with thyroid. It's a collection of symptoms and you might resonate with a handful of them, but it doesn't mean you need to have every symptom to experience that. And, and I think why it was similar, my metabolism had slowed but I probably had fallen in line with that slowing. Yeah. So yeah. so it was rather than me continuing doing what I'd always done, I was altering things because I was noticing my metabolism was slowing. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think until I got like a bit of a ding, 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 this is actually what's happening. This is why your hands and feet are always numb, cold. This is why you're having like bowel issues. This is why you're having, you know, fatigue or you just – can't concentrate yeah mm. all of those sorts of things that so I was like oh my goodness it's not just me <laughs> yeah I'm not losing my marbles like, yeah the same thing like I I had a patient the other day who was like I just I I feel like I might be getting early stage dementia because mm. I can't concentrate I've got really bad brain fog and I was like it's probably not it's probably more like your insulin or your stress hormones or thyroid mm. that are contributing to that because they all like I remember when I was a first like first like a graduate and I prided myself that I was so sharp my memory was so good like you could ask me what happened in a meeting two weeks ago what the actions were and I could rattle them off like that and then suddenly I was losing it I couldn't do that anymore and I was like oh my god like I'm just losing my intelligence my sharpness but no it was the fact that my blood sugar was so all over the show my stress hormones were really high that I was and when I fixed those all of that came back so a lot of these things uh, you know like you might have insulin resistance and high stress hormones and you don't have that you don't have the brain fog you don't have the the lack like the memory issues but that was something that I definitely had Mm, yeah completely I think I've definitely experienced that too and I think what I've noticed now as well is it really comes down to my sleep quality which is obviously because if I, my sleep isn't good because my stress hormones are probably too high or my yeah. my blood sugar maybe isn't functioning quite so well too yeah, so exactly yeah and you're waking up in the night because your blood sugar is dropping and yeah. yeah yeah so yeah these are so going back to the one the question I got about the weight I think this is quite hard to understand because so many people will say but I'm lean so therefore I can't be insulin resistant and that's just just not true at all like yes while it's really common for when your body is having to produce more insulin, then it produces more testosterone and then that leads to weight gain. That's not always the case. And I think that this is probably likely a genetic 
yeah a big component is genetic mm-hmm. and or a big component might be, maybe it is your lifestyle as you know that person might just be adjusting what they're eating mm. because they're noticing that they're gaining weight and so therefore they're restricting and restricting more um but yeah i mean we know this from like type 2 diabetes not everyone with type 2 diabetes is overweight in fact lean type 2 diabetes is quite common yeah and these will be people that have no idea that their blood sugar is out of control they're not adjusting what they're eating it's just that their body does not gain weight mm. and all I can say is that we know that genetics have a role in that. There's probably other things that are also happening, but genetics definitely play. Yeah, completely. So that's why you can have insulin resistance and still be lean. Um, and maybe also too, like I, I also think that, like I was, I was not, in terms of BMI, like when I was diagnosed, I was not even overweight like my BMI wouldn't have been over 25 but I knew myself that I was gaining weight that didn't match with my so although my doctor probably wouldn't have looked at me and said you're like okay you're a classic case for insulin resistance I I was actually gaining weight I knew that especially around my belly and that was quite a big red flag as well yeah and I think that's really important to note too that when insulin is driving a lot of weight gain we do see that as like what's called central adiposity which is like when you're gaining your weight typically around your middle band so your legs might not be as affected your arms might not be as affected but you're finding you really getting that like across the abdomen and like around love handles essentially like yep. that's that's the real area that's quite a signal for for insulin weight gain also quite a signal for stress weight gain as well because of the it yes. ends up following a similar mechanism by dumping blood sugar into our um, into our bloodstream. Yeah. yeah. So that's the second driver. Like probably good segue into that. So the second driver is your stress hormones. We call this, a, you know, like adrenal stress hormones. We use it interchangeably because your stress hormones are released by your adrenal glands. Um, and this is so we all produce stress hormones right like it's just that they're they're so important for survival we're like we couldn't live without them they're really important it's more just when they get a bit dysregulated that that trouble kind of ensues yeah yeah exactly so it's when do you know the pattern is if you're under significant amount of stress your body will produce too much stress hormone and then there's also one if that's been going on for a long period of time some people can get into what's called adrenal insufficiency it used to be called adrenal fatigue they've said that that's an incorrect name I think they're right physiologically but I think that it helps people to understand it's like your basic your adrenals have been producing stress hormones for such a long time that they've sort of become fatigued from that and I think it's a nice thing for people to um, you know like kind of understand how that might happen and so and then in that case actually sometimes you're producing low amounts of stress hormone which can mean that it's really hard to get up in the morning mm-hmm. um you might find that you really struggle to get going until like mid-morning and then maybe even after you have then another energy dip in the evening or afternoon and yeah just generally you kind of follow that low um low stress hormone pattern so we're not always looking for really high stress hormones and this is why again Blood testing isn't always that helpful. I think that symptoms, and this is why we ask so many symptom questions about this in our questionnaire, is because symptoms can tell us so much more about yeah. how your stress hormones are functioning. Yeah, and I think important to note when we kind of look at two things, 
there's the set of classic PCOS symptoms like acne, hirsutism, weight gain, those sorts of like visible symptoms. And then what we're talking about when we're looking in the questionnaire is these other symptoms that are really unspoken and they're symptoms of the drivers. And yeah. so that's really what, we probably need a new name for them, but the symptoms of the drivers mm. is what we're digging and delving around in when we're trying to figure out what your PCOS drivers are. We're not particularly interested in the symptoms that are upsetting you the most yeah yeah exactly so what we're talking about there is is maybe we change the name from symptoms to like indicators so yeah. like indicator would be um do little, you really little insight to our mind yeah. <laughs> but it is true though it we're is true. constantly we're, trying to figure out the best way to convey yeah. what we're doing yeah and just just to help you understand what we mean by this and mm. so because sometimes the, you know if the terms are too similar you're like but you just said that you don't really care about those symptoms, symptoms. but like indicators. no different indicators yeah. <laughs> so indicators when you go through the questionnaire you'll see them it's things like do you struggle to get up in the morning yeah do you find you're waking up between like 2 and 4 a.m do you find that you're tired more tired after exercise like does it do you struggle to recover within 15 minutes of finishing a workout are you wired at night and then actually can't get to sleep like mm-hmm. these are all the indicators we're looking of 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 dysregulated stress hormones yeah, yeah. are you uh do you crave sugar are you um do you have like an uh, after lunch or mid-afternoon energy slump um do you have brain fog like all of these things are really important for indicating how your stress hormones are functioning and so the way that these impact pcos is that very similar to insulin so these high stress hormones because they're released you know in your adrenal gland what's also released in your adrenal gland is another um testosterone like hormone called dheas and that um can be converted into DHT, which is a really potent form of testosterone, which is what causes acne and hirsutism, um, and also disrupts your sex hormones, which control your ovulation and fertility and periods. So it does the same role. But also, too, as you mentioned before, Emma, it's when we, so our, the role of our stress hormones is really in survival mm. and to help us recognize danger and then respond accordingly. So um, whether we need to run, jump, fight or flee to get out of that danger. Now, that is no no longer really the case for us. Our danger is far more psychological. It's the like, I've got um, a project due and I've got 346 emails in my inbox and I've got someone hounding me for um, another piece of work and, you know, or... I've got a sick family member. Those are all the much more danger that we... The modern experience. day stresses, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And, but our body still interprets that the same way as danger. You need to get out of here. And so it's going to dump glucose into your bloodstream so that you can run, jump, fight or flee. And so in that way, it can actually contribute to the blood sugar and insulin dysregulation. And this is why we often see those two things coming together. Yeah. And so that's often why, if we're referring to that kind of those containers quite a lot of people do fall into that um the two drivers being insulin resistance and high stress together and think of that as a container a lot of people do fall into that one but yeah it's important to recognize all the different ones i think the other really important part with the stress hormone as well is around particularly around reproduction and how Mm. our body is primed for reproduction like biologically kind of that's what our bodies are here on the earth to do and our bodies are really responsive to these threats um long-term threats it's less so 
run away from that line right right now but Mm. more so are we going into a famine is food more scarce is something changing um and then the body responds accordingly to that by essentially shutting down in like a really primitive way shutting down ovulation in that sense um because it's not conducive to um you know bring a baby into the world when the tribe or whatever back in the day were in famine Mm. so totally it was like we've not got enough food for you to survive as the mother so we're not going to bring a baby into the world and i mean what an amazing contraception yeah right yeah. like that before we'd invented contraception that was the way the body goes uh-uh, not yeah. safe like. our body deprioritizes sort of those unnecessary um processes to really prioritize keeping your heart beating keeping your brain sharp and so again this is often what happens in thyroid as well is mm. our body shuts down those unnecessary processes because our metabolism has gotten so low in hypothyroidism so similar thing and yeah reproduction hair growth yeah um and because it just doesn't have enough for that t3 hormone right yes. like yeah exactly. you know like yes the metabolism but also like t3 so it's like mm. we need that hormone to be able to do things like make our bowel move yeah exactly. don't have enough t3 okay you're gonna be constipated yeah yeah exactly so things really slow down and we've kind of kind of morphed into the thyroid driver as mm. well yeah but stress that kind of constant chronic stress is one thing that can shut down reproduction and then the um, lack of enough energy or nutrients can mm. also contribute to that. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Obviously, um, you know, these hormones are really important. They were there to keep our body, like, sub- you know, have our body survive. Like, you've always referred to them, Claire, as, like, the emails. Like, they are they're the brain telling our body to do this or do that to ensure survival. But, yeah, like you said, it's all a bit misconstrued in today's society because the brain is sending similar signals off less threatening stresses yes yeah absolutely and as you said before like we've kind of morphed into thyroid but the reason for that is because all of these are connected connected so connected and i think that's what's quite important to to realize that these are not like individual like okay i've got some insulin resistance and i've got a thyroid condition and i've got high stress hormones they often are working Working together together. yeah like (laughs) you if you're if you've got some insulin resistance and high stress hormones and that's 100 percent going to be affecting your thyroid mm-hmm. like you and they we see a stressful a really big stressful event um either physically or mentally being a massive reason for the onset of hashimoto's which is the autoimmune version of thyroid so like oftentimes pregnancy can be that because mm-hmm. that's actually a huge physical stress on your body and mm-hmm. we see a lot of thyroid antibodies coming up postpartum mm-hmm. absolutely or like trauma, trauma. Like I think we've seen with patients it would be like a car crash or mm-hmm. like another um another large you know like family trauma um and also same thing for high stress hormones which makes mm-hmm. a you know makes a lot of sense but one thing when we're talking about like well, what causes these drivers so how do you how do you get to having this mm. is that when it comes to things like stress hormones sometimes it's around like high trauma when you were young mm-hmm. yeah or pre-puberty is another big one that really sets that path yeah and that you kind of from an early age learn to be or end up being in this kind of hyper alert state because mm. something was a threat younger and so you've developed those like neural pathways in your brain to be on high alert all the time because you have had threats in in the past and so that that has like predisposed you to be a more anxious person and 
And that's not something we can change. I mean, we can work through things like that with therapy or other tools. There's so many tools out there that can help us um, better manage our stress or be able to cope better with it, be more yeah. resilient with our stress. And so that's why there is a module in OV on stress management. And we delve into all of these things. And we have an amazing psychologist, Sophia Dawson, who gives us so many tools um, and helps us understand what's going on there. But we can't change that, you know, this might have happened before you even can remember. So yeah. it's really important to to work on, on minimizing that, but know that you didn't cause that, but that, that might be something that you've been predisposed to, not necessarily genetically, but throughout your life, that's been something that's kind of, yeah, been heightened in you. Yeah, yeah totally. So the other one that we haven't got to yet, the drivers is, inflammation so we talked about a little bit about thyroid but oh actually probably going back to thyroid so again how this impacts PCOS so um again our like t3 is such so your your thyroid produces a hormone called t4 and then that's converted into t3 which is really the active form of thyroid hormone and thyroid t3 is really important for so many different functions in your body so while thyroid doesn't really um, contribute so much like increasing testosterone it is so often a a kind of a, a condition that goes alongside PCOS that yeah, exacerbates symptoms yeah um, I don't want to use the word comorbidity but that's often yeah. what it's referred to in med- medicine is when you have two conditions side by side yeah, yeah. that are both kind of affecting your symptoms especially yeah. symptoms like weight gain and Fertility, yeah, I would say are probably the two ones that it yeah. really like. And fatigue, yeah, yeah, fatigue, yeah, yeah, yeah true, yeah. And hair loss actually. This is yeah, all interlinked, <laughs> but yes, but the two most common ones we see is fertility. Like for that same reason, you're probably not ovulating if your thyroid is mm-hmm. not functioning correctly, and your metabolism is slowed right, right down. So your body's um, storing weight, um, or if if you have more than more than a few thousand calories like that you know maybe 1200 calories might be where your metabolism is slowed right down to the moment that you have 15 or 1600 calories your body's going to store that extra weight because your metabolism is so slow mm. yeah and so the your answer is not to eat 1200 calories no. but to fix the problem yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and then inflammation is the other common one so when we have chronic inflammation so again inflammation is an essential part of our immune system so when our body detects that there is a foreign object or there is um, damage, then it will um, go to repair that and it will release... um, Send an army of helpers, essentially, to fix the problem. Um, And that can cause a bit of swelling and a bit of pain if it's like an injury or something like Mm. that. However, they're like the response team to fix the problem and then they dissipate again. But if we have something like something that we're eating constantly that our body's actually really sensitive to or there's been something else going on that's driving this constant low-grade inflammation we kind of end up in this state of having constantly high inflammatory cells and things floating around our body and and that can then the thing that we kind of you don't tend to hear about but inflammation does actually cause some damage to the cells but what it's doing is fixing a better problem. Kind of think about it as like, I always think about it like in an um, action movie, the hero always causes quite a bit of damage to things, but it saves the day. That's kind of what our infl- mm. inflammatory system are kind of doing. So, but if we have this constant 
that's constantly turned on, there's constantly more damage that's coming coming from that, and those inflammation cells can actually end up wreaking more havoc than what we want them to. Yeah, yeah. and that's why we often see it as part and parcel of like insulin resistance. Yeah. So if you have some insulin resistance, you're more likely to have like some low grade inflammation because of the the damage that that constantly high insulin is causing. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing if you have a thyroid condition, especially the autoimmune version of anything autoimmune, then you're going to have some inflammation as well. Yeah. So again, it kind of goes hand in hand, but also can be just this, you know, like the sole reason on its own as well. Yes. Yeah. And and oftentimes um, other really inflammatory heavy conditions like endometriosis mm-hmm. and things like that can play a part in the worsening of of PCOS symptoms because there's that low-grade inflammation that's happening there. Yeah, absolutely. So that's all of the different drivers. And we touched a little bit in this going into stress about, well, what causes it? And I think we need to go back to that. So for each of those, it's like, yeah, okay, so I've got, I've gone through the questionnaire. I see that I've got like some insulin resistance. Okay, so, but what caused that? Why do I have that? Yeah, and I think there's a few parts. Genetics is like a massive one and we've talked about I know you've talked about this before as well and I always refer to like insulin resistance as like a continuum and depending on your genetics you've landed somewhere along that continuum like the the right hand end the far end being like pre-diabetes diabetes kind of like the most insulin resistant and then the other end being like a brand new baby perfectly insulin sensitive or something mm. so you're depending on your um your genetics you're going to be plonked somewhere along that continuum and then because how we eat how we eat or how we live how well we sleep how much we move our body how much muscle tissue we have that can shunt us further down the continuum or further back the other way down the continuum so it's like a two-factor there's sort of a genetic component but also a lifestyle component in there yeah Yeah. and a lot of this can also be um other things in our lifestyle like antibiotic use, mm-hmm. gut bacteria, and um, there's probably stress, more that we don't even know. So yeah. much more environmental yeah. toxins. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of that sort of stuff. And but really, it's about um, what we focus on is not necessarily how you arrived, but what we can do now to make the biggest impact on moving you back towards the, the, the more continuum. optimal yeah, end, the, the insulin-sensitive end, end yeah. completely. And that's where we look at, okay, so what can we do? How can we eat? How can we move? How can we sleep? What are the like the key things that the research shows is more likely to move us back towards that insulin-sensitive end of the continuum? Um, so we don't really focus too much on like what got you there, but now like where you are, where you are, and how we get you back towards that. Yeah, like we'll meet you where you're at, and we'll work with you to get you continue to move you down towards a more insulin sensitive end of the spectrum, and then and that comes more freedom as well. Like I think you could say that you might have started out right on almost the pre diabetes end, and through years of really working on making your body more insulin sensitive now you've got so much more flexibility with your lifestyle changes and you know you might have been more strict 80 20 percent at the start to try Mm. and really see improvements in your insulin but now because your blood sugar manages really well your insulin functions quite well and your body's more insulin sensitive you actually have a lot more flexibility in in maintaining that insulin and blood sugar regulation yeah absolutely i especially see that in weight gain like mm. I am it's really easy for me to maintain my weight now like mm. whereas previously any kind of change in what I was eating or if I just hadn't been working out as much then I would notice that whereas now I just 
very rarely notice that at all. And so, yeah, it is. it does take a bit. And I think that... Um, why it's also not helpful to really look for the cause, and this is, I think, where people get hung up on, and this is why we've ch- gone away from calling it root cause to now driver, is because you could be like, okay, well, the maybe what contributed to it, and I definitely think this contributed to mine, was heavy antibiotic use when mm-hmm. I was a child. So I had really severe tonsillitis. Like, I would get incredibly sick with tonsillitis every month without fail for years until my tonsils were removed. And then after my tonsils removed, I was good for a few years, and but then I started getting bronchitis because your tonsils are actually really important for your immune system. And when we take those out, then it just goes straight to the chest now. And so then I had like heavy antibiotic use for a period of time for bronchitis. And so, but while, um, but now, like it's really interesting, I just had a recent gut test and my gut bacteria is so good, so, so good. And I... I haven't done that much with gut bacteria. Like I haven't, yes, I've like, I've done a a bit of work, but not huge, like not compared to like what you and Charlie Mm -hmm. have had to do in terms of like SIBO protocol and things like that. So my gut bacteria has kind of like, has kind of improved with changes in what I've been eating and changes in my insulin and stuff as well. So, and that's because our gut, our gut bacteria are like our second brain. And if we treat them really well with, sleep and lots of fiber and all those sorts of things they thrive as well yeah and they can repair without having to really do a lot of kind of like probiotic and and other you know kind of real real focus on gut stuff so that's why I think that even if you think that that's the case for you it it's probably still not the most important thing to focus on yeah like a lot of the other like dietary and stress and as you said sleep and nutrient stuff is actually really important and will will by association help with that in many cases yeah so I think as well like that raises a really good point of when like in OV we initially give you the first five to six what we see being the most important changes for you and we want you to just really focus on those and implement those and it's not about doing 101 things and fixing the gut and fixing Mm. this and fixing that and fixing that because we actually do see that as we start to put these these changes in place to figure out maybe focusing on one or two drivers initially first, other things start to fall into line. And I think same goes with, um, like I was thinking, some one of our um, clients in Ovi was saying, can I please have all of the, because we do bonus modules on symptoms, what we were saying about like having a Band-Aid for some of these symptoms that you're experiencing at the moment. She was asking to see all of her symptoms, you know, like 10 or 12 of them all at once. And I really wanted to be like, let's focus on these like main changes first. And then you actually might find that by the time you get to the bonus module for your, for your eighth, ninth, 10th symptom, they're actually not a symptom for you anymore because we've kind of fixed the driver already at that point. So yeah, it's super interesting as, um, yeah, some of these kind of like core ones, like nutrition, sleep, movement, they they work so holistically on on like all of the drivers and and lots of our body systems and functions that we see improvement yeah across and the board. and the same yeah. thing like we um just thinking of quite a few clients we've had recently who have had inflammation as well as like insulin resistance mm-hmm. and they're like oh so for my inflammation do I need to cut out like gluten and dairy and like other potentially inflammatory foods and we're like no actually at the moment what we think from your profile is that actually it's insulin that's driving the inflammation if we fix that 
we will the inflammation will resolve on its own and in 100% of those cases that has been correct and so that's why you know listening to this you can be overwhelmed and be like there's so many things and even like reading my book you know you can look at all of the different supplements in there and just be like whoa there are so many and yeah there are so many things so that's why but it's not that you need to take them all mm-hmm. it's not that you even need to take any supplements potentially it's about like well let's focus on the really important things first and you might not need to do any yeah. of that yeah so it's you might the, not need to hit that up level or anything because things might actually be working just with nailing the basics yeah Yeah. exactly and that's why why exactly why we've created Ovi because we saw exactly this problem is that there are so many things you could do it's about knowing which ones are the most important which are those like big dominoes that if you knock that domino down like if you think about what dominoes are right like you line up all of the dominoes in a line and if you get the right if you hit the right one the first one correctly Mm. then the whole stack of dominoes will fall down and so if we can do that then actually we can fix those problems and again same thing with me like I didn't have to really do too much on gut health to really repair that it was a byproduct of focusing on the other more important things yeah completely and this is why I mean I said this in a podcast a while back a couple of weeks ago um, I've got a really dear friend who called me and she's like oh I need to um get some gut testing done I was like okay what why what are we trying to achieve here and she was like oh she's got an, she's got an autoimmune condition and I was like okay so yeah, we might have to do that, but actually there's probably more important things to do. And she's like, oh, but I got this gut testing done a while back and it showed that I had like the gut bacteria was out. And I was like, yeah, it could be. But also, okay, so what are you eating? How are you sleeping? How are you moving? She's like, oh, yeah, actually that's a real problem. I've like, I've got two young kids and I'm just like, you know, eating Uber Eats most nights and I'm just not sleeping very well. I'm kind of fueling my days on a coffee and a scone most mornings. And I'm like, okay, well, that is like by far the way, way, way more important thing to do first. Let's get that stuff sorted. And then, because like... Because our body and all of those things that we're doing provides a happy foundation for that bacteria. So it's all about regenerating the foundation that the bacteria is living in and then the bacteria will be happier. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I I think, yeah, that also kind of is a lot of what we see as well as what should test should I get? What yeah. can I get all of these tests and spend hundreds of dollars getting my gut microbiome tested and things like that. And it's like, well, what will that actually tell us? Yes. There's a few key essential tests that we can get done that, that can be really beneficial and might help us with, you know, supplementing correctly or things like that. But on the whole, oftentimes we can see enough from those indicators mm. and, and work on some of those key basics first and and we might not even have to do any testing before we get there yeah absolutely so that's why if you go through the over questionnaire at the end it'll tell you what these drivers are it'll say if we really can't see from those indicators it'll it might say we suspect this and we Mm. might need some further testing to confirm that and that's where and um and over we can help you with that to really confirm it but on we've seen when we've like looked at this versus so what we did is we took a group of people and we put them through the test and then we and then we had consults with them and we blinded ourselves to the results from what the test said and we had the consult with them and we found that um in over 90 percent of I think it was 98 percent of cases the um the questionnaire was even more accurate than what we as clinicians could kind of pick up yeah. when we asked all these questions so and most of the time, then we didn't need to go and do further testing. And this is because we've used 
we've there's also so much research available to us about what indicators are really specific for these symptoms so we've been able to use those and so that's why in many cases you don't actually need testing to figure out these drivers there are some that you will like thyroid we can never tell from just symptoms alone from indicators alone so you would have to we could say your indicators are pointing us to the fact that you've got a thyroid condition but you would need to go and get a blood test from your doctor to or order this privately which we can help with to definitely confirm this yeah um, but other things like insulin resistance, in over eighty percent, eighty five percent of cases, we can we can uh, find this out just from your indicators. Yeah, completely. And I think as well, the reason for that too is there's very few tests, blood tests that actually really can show us insulin resistance that well. Or you know that testing is quite limited. There's one kind of very tricky to order test that can kind of show us that. Mm. But symptoms are just so much more powerful, and so. You don't yeah. kind of need to worry yourself about getting too much blood testing or otherwise done. Yeah, yeah. and this is why, because you know the research has has picked us up that it is really expensive mm. to get the really sensitive insulin test done. And so that's they took a group of of people with PCOS and they said, right, what else can we look for? Let's do the really really extreme insulin test, and then also let's look at what symptoms could indicate this for us. And that's where they were able to come up with these indicators that could that were um, really sensitive for picking up insulin resistance. That means that we didn't have to go through the testing, and so that's what we've been able to use in our like in our questionnaire. So, yeah, there's um, there are some things that we might want to get tested, like um, as you said, Emma, like your iron and your mm. like vitamin D so that if we're going to supplement we know that you're spending good money on the supplements that you actually need yeah. and you know like in the case of PCOS this I mean we come across probably 20 to 30 percent of people that have actually too much iron and that's actually exacerbating their drivers so we want to be really careful about that but anything else around your drivers um is often not needed and especially especially not some of the really expensive gut or adrenal tests Mm, are often especially like things like dutch testing and things like that yeah i think when it comes to stress too it's really hard to see those in blood biomarkers as well they can be quite inaccurate or really unhelpful as well and you know if you wanted to get cortisol testing you might have to go back to the lab four or five times a day and then we know that blood testing for that isn't that great anyway? So it might yeah. be like a urine sample or Yeah, and and then still then we can just we we can quite clearly see it, particularly around stress hormones. We can see it manifesting. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you might have your cortisol might be normal, but if you're if you're lying in bed for two hours before you can get to sleep, well, whoa, that's a massive issue. Mm. So as it doesn't really matter with your cortisol showing normal, it's Mm. like, okay, we can clearly see here it's not normal for you to be lying in bed for two hours before you can actually get to sleep. So let's fix that problem. So I think that's why it's yes, blood testing can be helpful, and but it's often not necessary and. We can utilize many of your other indicators to pick up what's going to be important for you to change. But also keep that really specific to the things that are going to have the biggest impact on you and not being like, right, you need to remove all these foods and, you know, like fix your gut and do, um, you know, meditate two hours a day. And, you know, like it's, that's not helpful for anybody. Yeah, yeah, completely. So I think one of the like last questions that we kind of get really often is, I don't have my PCOS symptoms anymore. Do I not have PCOS anymore? Mm. 
Yeah, good question. Um, so for most people, I'd say that you're always going to be predisposed to it. So I don't really have many symptoms anymore. So the symptoms that I did have of like weight gain and irregular, like regular cycles where I didn't actually have a period for like three years, um, I don't, like they're completely resolved. Mm-hmm. So if I went back to the doctor, if I if they asked me the criteria for PCOS in terms of, and also to my, like my blood markers, like my testosterone and things are normal now. You won't probably have any follicles in your ovaries because no. you're re- you're ovulating regularly, all of those sorts of things. So you probably wouldn't be diagnosed technically with PCOS now. However, should you change the lifestyle changes that you have now built, you know, years long habits of doing, should that kind of change or flip on its head, you're probably going to be more predisposed to having more regular blood sugar and your insulin your body becoming more insulin resistant again. Yeah. Yeah. So like this is what people talk about, like reversing your symptoms or um, that they're in remission. Same things are like how you can reverse type 2 diabetes. So once you get type 2 diabetes, you can get out of having type 2 diabetes. You can reverse that. But if you went back to living the same way you were before, you'd develop that again. And it's the same thing for PCOS. I think that for some people... And this is those that I've specifically seen more like the post pill. Like they, they never exhibited signs of PCOS before going on hormonal birth control, and then suddenly they have and and they have got some of those drivers. They're a lot easier to reverse, and so therefore they might be not be as predisposed to developing that later. So therefore, it's kind of can... like the continuum again. The pill kind of shunted them a wee bit further along mm. the continuum, and then as that kind of resolved they were back to kind of not having those symptoms again. Yeah. yeah. But they still had to actually work on that underlying, underlying driver, which driver. is which is most often after being on the pill, it's most often insulin resistance. Yeah. Um, but it was much easier for them to reverse that and therefore they don't seem to get those, those symptoms back. They don't have to manage things as carefully as someone else. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the only ones that I would see that, yeah, really kind of um, don't have to manage as actively yeah. in many cases. And I think as well what we talked about with particularly insulin um, resistance or insulin sensitivity, the more insulin sensitive your body can get, the more flex you can have and the less hard you have to actively work on on that driver as such um, because your body, as your body gets more insulin sensitive, it gets really much better at dealing with more blood sh- blood glucose or things like that so i think that's that's kind of similar the more think about it as a continuum again the more you move back down towards insulin sensitive the less active you have to be at managing it so it can feel like less of a chore to be managing your pcos i guess yeah, yeah exactly um but then like most of these things can be quite easy as well that it doesn't have to and I think this is what people might have heard lots of other um of our real life stories on the podcast people saying like especially I'm thinking back to the one we did with Jamie and she was like I like I didn't really think that this would work because it felt so much easier than so many other really restrictive diets and things I've done in the past and I think this is also a big misconception is that in order to see improvement you have to be doing things you have to be punishing yourself yeah yeah really or like just or to lose weight you must not be eating very much and exercising all the time like it's the only way yeah 
And in order to see improvements in PCOS, you have to cut out all of these foods and you do have to meditate two, two hours a day and you do have to um, also, you know, be doing cold water therapy and be, you know, fixing your gut health and be doing so many Bio-hacking. things. Biohacking. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but actually, it's not the case at all. And yeah. we've seen in 100% of the cases that focusing on four or five of the most important things 80% of the time, not 100%, 80% of the time, is far more effective because actually you can stick with that forever. Mm-hmm. And that is what makes a difference. Not what you do for two or three or four weeks, mm-hmm. but what you can do for three months, six months, 12 months. And again, this is what you'll hear in all of the stories is that so many people are like, like going back to Jamie's, one of her main symptoms was weight gain. And one of the things she said was that I didn't understand how I could stick to something for a long time when I could, had never been able to stick to a, you know, like a diet for very long because she perceived it was her lack of self-control. It wasn't. It was the fact that her blood sugar hormones were so all over the show that she uh, was getting all these sugar cravings and getting really hungry. And so, yeah, she couldn't stick to those really restrictive diets that, because her blood sugar was like driving her to go and find like sugary foods. And so, but she, once she kind of fixed that, she's, when she, when we spoke to her on the podcast, she'd lost 30 plus kilos, right? But she had spent more than six months getting her insulin under control. And then she'd been in the position where she was like, right, I'm ready ready to now lose, you know, do a weight loss stint. And so if she hadn't been able to stick to those changes for, you know, more than four weeks, she never would have seen that weight loss. And now as she said in that podcast, she was like, I never, ever thought that it would be possible for me to eat as much as I do and find it so easy to maintain my weight. And I think that's what leads to long-term success, not these short-term yo-yo diets or like maybe losing some weight, but then putting on more weight afterwards. Or same thing with like, you know, you might get a cycle back or get a, you know, get a period but then lose it again or then it becomes really irregular yeah yeah I think completely I think yeah what Jamie you can really hear the reason why Jamie had had felt like a failure and struggled to stick with these 500 calorie diets was because she did feel like she was punishing herself on Mm. them and they were not enjoyable and yeah it's it we want to set you up for life like that's the thing we want you to feel like you're and you have control over your weight or your weight maintenance is 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 easy it's not something you have to think about anymore so or you know it's not weight if it's like maintaining getting your period regularly or acne or hirsutism then you can still do things like go on vacation and you can still live a relatively normal life through like holiday season and not end up at the end with like massive breakout or gaining weight or now suddenly a really irregular cycle it's like yeah. you can have these you can easily flex with life mm. uh, and still maintain those really Im- Im- symptom improvements yeah great nice. I don't think there's anything else we need to do that morphed into that yeah so main thing is I think so the so where to go from here is go and complete the OV questionnaire. That will give you completely free 
to go through and do that and then it will tell you what these drivers are for you right and so then you can then um, take that information and go okay I really understand now why I'm getting my weight gain or fatigue or blood sugar sugar cravings or uh, acne or hirsutism or fertility challenges that will tell you that and then you can go through and actually if you want to sign up to Ovi and start to make the most important changes to actually improve those drivers yeah. and make a long-term improvement in those and then as well we'll give you all of the other things in there for those band-aid solutions while you're doing that things yeah. that can really help with like okay yep hirsutism might take six months to see improvement from lifestyle change here are the things that you can do that you can take that will also see improvement more immediately the band-aid while you're fixing that long term yeah. so it's it's both it's like yeah we understand like we understand personally. I mean, all of us have used medications mm-hmm. and more kind of band-aids solutions for that. And we think that there's a really good place for those. There's absolutely no judgment from us in there. We think that they're brilliant, but we also need to use that, have that underlying drivers fixed to see long-term improvements. Yeah, completely. I think the really important part to note with, like if you do do the questionnaire and then you go on to sign up to OV and download the app, it's completely personalized to your specific drivers and your specific symptoms, what we talk to you about. So that is why we ask all these questions so that we can give you the right tools for you. Yeah. 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 So every one of those questions has a purpose yeah. in your program completely. and understanding you. We're not just asking things for the sake of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I know that some other companies do that, but literally we use every single one of those we would love the questionnaire to be a bit shorter but we need them all yeah (laughs) we would also love the questionnaire to be longer so we can get even more like understanding but also we know we understand how long questions can be really frustrating (laughs) yeah yeah so it's about 39 questions and um so it will take about five minutes to complete but the more accurate you can be in that the more accurate your ov treatment um plan when in the ov app will be so do take the time to actually answer those accurately because they as we said they actually inform what you get exactly yeah now stand by for our disclaimer The information contained in this podcast has been prepared for the purpose of providing information including about the PCOS Nutritionist products and services and is designed to support clients' overall wellness. It is not intended to provide medical advice or designed to rectify, treat or cure any specific medical conditions or diseases. Nothing stated or shared in our podcast is intended to be and must not be taken to be medical advice. Please seek the advice of professionals, as appropriate, regarding the evaluation of any specific information, opinion, advice or content contained in our podcast.